Hi there, and welcome into BTN's Take 10 podcast. My name is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and I'm excited to bring you a fairly unique episode of this podcast as the show rolls full steam ahead toward football season. If you are new to the show or have only listened to a few episodes, just a, a refresher, what I've tried to do with the show still in its relative infancy here is to bring on Big Ten related, interesting and, and compelling guests and kind of get them to give some unique insight, tell some stories, learn more about their backgrounds and kind of let them carry the show and I just kind of ask the questions. Uh, sometimes I'll bring in beat reporters to get some real in-depth analysis like I did with last week's Big Ten Media Days episodes, but generally we'll try to go outside that boilerplate analysis that you can find other places and, and try to be a little bit more specialized. And usually the guests have, like I said, strong ties to the Big Ten. They either were or are a Big Ten athlete or they're a prominent member of sports media who attended or covered a Big Ten school. But my guest for this episode doesn't really have any strong Big Ten roots, although he is certainly compelling and, uh, and very talented. It is Brady Quinn, who many of you probably know was one of the faces of college football about 10 years ago as the quarterback in Notre Dame. And he was real popular, uh, had a very good career at Notre Dame, and was a first-round NFL pick. And following a seven-year NFL career where he bounced around, mostly as a backup, he's now a college football analyst at Fox, and he'll be calling Big Ten football games this fall as part of the new Big Ten TV deal with Fox. So I sat down with him last week at Big Ten Media Days, and while he is a uh, Golden Domer through and through, his, his Big Ten ties actually might run deeper than you think. He grew up just outside Columbus, Ohio, and was recruited uh, very heavily by Big Ten schools, namely Ohio State and Michigan, and has a brother-in-law who was a very prominent Buckeye who Ohio State fans probably know of, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in our discussion. So I held on to the interview uh, over a week ago until now, so we had an episode to release this week ahead of BTN's bus tour across the entire Big Ten, which uh, actually departed Chicago yesterday, if you're listening to this on its release date on Friday. So I am out on the road as you're probably listening to this, and we will do my best to get at least one podcast guest at as many schools as possible in the next couple weeks. So definitely stay tuned for some, some special uh, BTN bus tour episodes. And the best way to stay apprised of new episodes on this kind of irregular schedule we'll have leading up to football season is to subscribe to the show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, etc. And we'll likely have a discussion with each player um, on hopefully your favorite team in the next couple of weeks from out on the road on the bus tour. But let's get back to the present and this week's episode, my interview with former Notre Dame quarterback, current Fox analyst Brady Quinn starts right now. I am very excited to be joined here in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days by former Notre Dame quarterback, seven-year NFL vet, and current Fox college football analyst, Brady Quinn. What's up, Brady? Thanks for joining me. Anytime. Yeah, glad to be here. Excited about uh, Fox getting the Big Ten this year. Been calling uh, college football games for a couple years, but Big 12, Pac-12, so I know we're really excited at Fox, and I'm personally really excited about having the opportunity to call Big Ten games now. Sure. So this is a Big Ten podcast, and... Um, any fans out there, you know, some might be grumbling and saying, what's this, uh, what's this Notre Dame guy doing on the podcast? He's a Golden Domer. 
get him out of here. But uh, doesn't doesn't Notre Dame seem like it fits? You know, it's in the big. It's ten. in the footprint. You know, yeah. it, it makes all the sense in the world. But it, you know, it seems like it's a Notre Dame decision to remain independent. So, you're an analyst for Fox, who now is this partnership with with the Big Ten. And not only that, you have roots in Big Ten country, isn't that, yeah. isn't that correct? That's correct. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, born and raised. I uh, played at Dublin Kaufman High School growing up. So very familiar, obviously, with the Big Ten. Grew up going to Ohio State games when I was young. Um, you know, I guess quasi you know, rooted for the Buckeyes. Um, and they really grew to respect the style of play and the type of football that was being played in the Big Ten. So, again, all the more reason why I think there's so much excitement about you know, having the opportunity to call Big Ten games. Sure. Like you said, you're, we'll get into your background a little bit more growing up in, uh, around Columbus. But walking around here, people know you as the Notre Dame quarterback. So if you walk around an event like this where Big Ten fans are, you know, they'll be at the luncheon later today. How do you uh, how do you win them over? Do you get any get any crap from them about going to Notre Dame or? You know, you can't worry about that. Mm. Um, it, it's no different than me calling I think five USC games last year. Oh man, yeah. Uh, so so think about that. I mean, that was you know a pretty storied rivalry. Same thing with you know Stanford or UCLA sure. or any of the other teams that you play in some of these other conferences. I, I think actually actually one advantage that I have is the fact that you know Notre Dame has played such a national schedule for so long that. Uh, you know, you don't mind if people love you or hate you. That's actually what you want when you're on TV. Right. You just want, don't want them to be indifferent. So as long as they feel one way or another, you're polarizing and you stand out, that's one of the things that they actually look for. So I'm not opposed to it at all. Uh, and and I, I don't hopefully don't feel like I have to win over fans. I just hope I do a good job. And whether they um, you know, like me or not, based on my affiliation with Notre Dame, I just hope they say, you know what, uh, he added some entertainment to that, or he, added, he taught me something that I didn't know uh, when I watched that game. You know, just give him a smile, you know, charm him and, uh, and win him over. So. <laughs> we got to get on camera more, man. <laughs> right, I'm right. not in studio. I'm on a game. You get on camera like twice, uh, twice a game. I know. So, uh, like you said, you were born just outside, or born in Columbus, grew up just outside in uh, Dublin. Obviously, didn't go to a Big Ten school, but you were recruited by Big Ten schools. You were yeah. one of the top quarterback recruits in the country at the time which Big Ten schools were recruiting you the hardest at that time yeah well uh, you know all of them were recruiting me pretty hard yeah um, there was only a few schools in the country that weren't recruiting me at the time and that was you know Florida Miami USC and you know Texas was was kind of quiet but pretty much everywhere else I was being recruited by so, so which were you considering the final three that really when it really came down to it was Notre Dame Michigan and Ohio State um, and I just felt like the combination for academics and athletics to me with all three schools kind of fit the bill of what I was looking forward to, to doing. Um, I wanted to play football at the highest level. I wanted to play in a system that I felt like gave me the best opportunity to play at the next level. And I wanted to be able to have the education, the experience uh, as a student where I felt like if football didn't work out, work out, I'd have the opportunity to go follow or pursue another career, uh, whether that was in law or finance or something else. So what's it like growing up in a community like that that's obviously very football focused and obsessed was there, was there any you know outside pressure to go to Ohio State and stay home yeah I mean there was I think everyone would have been excited about you know me being 20 minutes away from where I grew up and and being able to go you know play in the shoe and and be able to kind of you know follow in those you know, footsteps of other players in you know central Ohio that had done the same. So many of the other players I'd either played against or, or knew from the recruiting trails. Uh, so there was there was definitely some pressure. And to be honest with you, I had committed to Notre Dame before my senior year, and Ohio State ended up winning the national championship that year. And they kind of continued to keep recruiting me, yeah. even though I I had already verbally committed and I told the staff at that point that I wasn't going to change my mind. But 
they still they still gave it all you know their best effort. Um, Luke Fickle was uh, the, at the time you know responsible for me. Jim Trussell was the head coach, and and I, and I love them to death. To be honest with you, if I would have went to Ohio State, I think it would have ended up being for the wrong reasons. It would have been because uh, I wanted to play for Coach Trestle and Coach Fickle as opposed to um, wanting to go play for the academic side of things or you're free from the offense they ran at that point in time, which wasn't very conducive for quarterback play. Sure. So do you think having grown up in that area with the, with the disappointment maybe have been worse if you had gone to Michigan over Notre Dame? Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, people, like when people had heard that I was kind of leading towards Michigan, because there was a certain point in my recruitment where it was really down to kind of Tennessee, Michigan, Ohio State, I was too much of a wuss to be able to go out any further west. I'd taken a visit to Colorado, and, and I had family out there at the time. So when I went there, I, I loved it. It's beautiful. It's scenic. Boulder's incredible. But I, I came to the realization that I wanted my parents to be able to watch. You know, we didn't have yeah. money, so they weren't going to be able to travel and go out and see me play. So that was one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to stay in that region. And it, it really was down to Ohio State Michigan, and, and I almost you know committed to Michigan, and it was really tough for me to try to be patient with the process just because I, you know, I, I thought I was making the right decision, but I hadn't heard enough from Notre Dame and Tyron Willingham. And once he got there, once I got up there and met with him and talked with the staff, uh, it just kind of changed my mind of ultimately, I think, where I wanted to go. Yeah, you mentioned the academic, the athletic combination is a big factor for you. Uh, go a little deeper into that. When you visited Notre Dame, what was the, you know, biggest impact that their recruiting uh, had on you? Why? Did you decide to go just outside of you know the the basic academic and, and um, athletic influences? I mean, like the bottom line was all three schools I think kind of fit that bill yeah. as as being you know higher academic institution schools. Uh, Michigan fit more I think what I was wanting to do. Uh, they had a pre law program and, and um, they had a, a course kind of or a, a curriculum structure that I think get me where I wanted to go if football didn't work out. Uh, whereas Notre Dame was a bit more general. But you know when I when I'd gone to Notre Dame's campus after I talked to Coach uh, Willingham, it wasn't even so much anything the university did. I think it just kind of sold itself. Sure. And I think walking on campus, I got more of a sense of, this is where I could see myself being for the next four years, kind of growing and maturing as a young man and playing football and going to school. Sure, and I mean, no one can find fault in that decision. You, you set all kinds of records in Notre Dame, had a fabulous career there, started for four years. Uh, just um, give the fans some insight. What's that like being the man at one of the most prestigious football programs in the country? and being on the biggest stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sound you know, too much like a homer in saying this, but it, it's not you know, one of the biggest. I mean, it's, it's the biggest. Um, there's nowhere else where you can go and be nationally recognized. Um, NBC you, have, every weekend, you know? NBC is part of that. You know, when you're not on NBC, you're on ABC or ESPN or sure. you know, Fox now, uh, who has those games. Um, it's, it's just the following that Notre Dame has nationally. I mean, people would recognize me internationally once I got, you know, graduated from Notre Dame, gone to the NFL. People didn't say, hey, well, hey, it's the you know, Cleveland Browns quarterback. They would you know, notice you as Notre Dame quarterback. Sure. Um, it's just it's one of those places that's so unique in its following and its history and its tradition uh, that it's really hard to understand it unless you're, you go there, unless you've been a part of it to some degree. I mean, I, I can vouch for that. I grew up pretty much watching you and uh, Texas and USC, and those were like the big programs you know, at the time, Matt Liner, Vince Young, and yourself. That was when I really first started following football. And... Um, you know, that's, that's pretty much, when I think back to that era of college football, it's you and a couple other guys and Reggie Bush, and that's, that's about it. So. And, and it was fun, you know. Like, we had a cool, you know, little band, you know, me and Jeff Samarja, Tom Zubikowski, who was a Chicago kid. Sure. And, um, you know, it, it was just a different time the way 
things were, you know, social media hadn't really hit mm-hmm. quite yet. So, you know, I think we were able to enjoy ourselves probably a little bit more than maybe some other students right. uh, can nowadays and, and still enjoy into having success in football, but, you know, also having fun and being a kid. Yep. And once you moved on from, from Notre Dame, you eventually were drafted by the Cleveland Browns and you were taken later than expected in the NFL draft with the uh, 22nd pick. A lot of people projected you'd go top 10 or even sooner. So what's that like for someone who has been on, on such a big stage his whole career pretty much, been highly ranked, and then having to sit and sweat that out in, you know, in New York City, in the green room? How's that, uh, how's that get in your head? Uh, it doesn't. I mean, you, you wait, what, four hours? <laughs> so look, it, it, it's yeah. a joke, man. I mean, you're getting drafted to go play in the NFL. You know, you wait a lot longer your entire life, and you work so hard to get to that point, uh, being 22nd pick versus a top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. It's not really that big of a difference when you look at the grand scheme of things. And the fact that it was to the Cleveland Browns, a team that you know I grew up rooting for, going to games, had had hoped I was going to have the opportunity to play for. And kind of after you know they passed me at number three and took Joe Thomas, and at that point in time, uh, I kind of thought, okay, you know now they're on that that list of teams that you want to kind of go prove prove them wrong. And yeah. so they were able to trade up and get me, which even that in itself was crazy. How that ten minutes in that. You know, draft pick where I was talking to Baltimore because they were going to take me in the 23rd pick in a trade with Kansas City, and then in the last minute, Cleveland called in with you know 50 seconds left in that pick to trade with Dallas to take me at 22. So that in itself was kind of a whirlwind of emotions. And I think it's magnified too by you know the, the broadcast and they, they make it seem like a bigger deal than it is sometimes. You know, if they have the camera focused on on you or someone that's in, in your position, and you're right, like they make it seem like oh it's it, it's such a big deal that you're dropping in the draft, but like you said, it, it works out. You go to play for the hometown yeah, team and you're the fir- you're a first round pick and it's like you know what's really people people blow it out of proportion i think because you know like people would always say oh you you lost you know this many millions and you're like how could i have lost anything you know sure. i walked into that that room with probably 10 bucks in my pocket i walked out of it with 10 bucks in my pocket you sure. know uh you didn't make or, or or lose anything in that period of time i mean as an athlete too it's like i didn't even play the game what performance could i have done and that 24-hour period to make me, you know, lose or win money. So that part of it, I think, it's over, um, overblown only because it's look, it's, it's TV. You got to do something. You got to have some sort of storyline. And they've and they've changed it a lot since then, uh, as far as having it on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday format as opposed to just two days before. Sure. And um, I guess what's your advice then for kids today who, I mean, not that they would, like we had a we had a player at uh, Iowa this year, Desmond King. He's yeah. the first one that popped in my mind. We had a crew out in Iowa City for him. We thought he was maybe going to go on the first night. He didn't go until the third day. Yeah. So what's your advice to players to you know handle that mentally that, that might drop in the draft? It's a starting point. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Um, you just hope that you get drafted into the best situation and circumstance because you know, a lot of guys, if you're talking about from the money aspect of it, you really make the real money on the second contract, not the first money, not your first contract. So um, you'd like to be drafted to a team that has good continuity as far as ownership and coaching staff right. and general manager and all that, that gives you the best chance to continue to grow as a player because it is just that. It's a starting point, and you can't get too caught up in everything else that around you with the, the money aspect of things when it, it should be about you know playing, performing, and, and hopefully, again, you're in a system where you don't have to change coaches and change scheme constantly because that's you know difficult in itself. So playing Cleveland was – did you feel any like added pressure playing for – you could call the what you could call a hometown team. Was it magnified at all? No, because you know it, no one's going to put any more pressure on me than I was going to put on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's, it wasn't as if I had a bad performance or going into training camp, you know, 
that anyone was going to sit there and, and make me feel nervous. Like if I was nervous, it was because I was excited about the opportunity and I, and I understood, you know, what I was, you know, meant to be or they were hoping for me to be. Um, but that was all because of, of what I wanted to be to Cleveland. So I think it was it was just tough being that you get drafted there. It feels like it's a storybook, you know, beginning to a career. And you know, I, got, I got a coaching, you know, change after two years. I ended up ending my second season on IR when I broke my index finger on my throwing hand and I had to get pins put in. And you, you get a new head coach, new general manager, and they have no ties to you. Right. And, you know, you're under contract, though, and it was just it wasn't a great relationship. And that's one of the first relationships I've ever had with a head coach that, um, you know, really didn't get along with. And, and you can see why a lot of teams don't work because, you know, the coaches and players, um, you know, when they don't get along and things don't work, you know, they're never going to be able to go then put on a performance on Sundays and go win football games, at least not on a consistent basis. So big picture, stepping back, how do you evaluate your NFL career as a whole? Um, you know, to me, I think, you know, you lasted double whatever the career average is for a lot of players. Right. Career average is three years. Um, would have loved to do things very, very different. Would have loved to have started my career in Cleveland and ended it there and be able to win some football games, go to the playoffs and all that. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, it ended, you know, a lot shorter than I would have liked it to. Um, I actually ended up going into the eighth, my eighth season with the Miami Dolphins in training camp after I had back surgery in my seventh year and, um, you know, just couldn't get the strength and feeling back in my right leg like I had before the surgery and uh, before I messed up my back. So uh, I think that was more disappointing. It seemed like any time I had a little bit of momentum, I had a Liz Frank injury my third year in Cleveland, had my index finger my second year after in my second start on Monday Night Football. Um, I had a back injury the first chance I get when I go to the St. Louis Rams and Sam Bradford gets hurt and they bring me in to try to play there. So uh, just you know, for a guy, I played in every single college football game and, and made it through relatively you know, healthy to then go in the NFL and just seem to have no luck being able to get any sort of momentum. Um, it, it was tough. I think the hardest thing is I just feel like I would have loved to have an opportunity to be in a system for more than you know, one year, maybe two years. Right. I mean, in Cleveland, I got drafted. We had the same OC for the first two years. And I felt like I was, you know, I was the first two years in the league, and I felt like I was at a great point with that offense and system. I never had a situation where I was ever in one system for two years ever again. Right. And I think that's hard for a player to go through. It's hard to have. I get traded to Denver. Josh McDaniels is the guy who traded for me. He's there for 12 games. He gets fired after the first 12 games. Yeah. So, again, I'm, I'm having to go through a new offense and a new head coach and John Fox the following year. Um, so it was like there was just constant change and turnover, and it got to the point where – it affects your ability to be able to anticipate, to be able to feel confident in what you're doing out there, the players you're playing with, uh, and that's all part of it. I mean, that, that's those are the small parts of having success that people don't realize. I and mean, imagine constantly changing your manager and your job, sure. or you know, all of a sudden you're the Big Ten podcast this week, you're Pac-12 next week, Big 12 the next week, and you got people telling you to do different things. It makes it hard for you to be really good at your job. Sure. So shifting gears a little bit into your uh, current role as a uh, sports broadcaster. Lots of athletes I talk to, they're, they'll say, you know, I, I was in uh, broadcast journalism major and I, I knew I wanted to do this. Did you ever think about this career in school? No. When, when did you, so if you didn't think about it in school, when did this become a possibility for you? I was laid up on my back. I had, uh, I think it was, I had spinal fluid leaks. It's when they, you know, they go to puncture your back. You, you get epidurals, but I had to have a contrast dye put in to see which, which one of the discs was affecting my nerve function in my right leg. And I was kind of laid up thinking to myself, like, this could be it. I mean, I had 
I couldn't wiggle my toes. I drop foot. And I was like, I don't know how, if I'm ever going to be able to feel, you know, my leg again or if it's going to atrophy or what's going to happen. So I started to kind of just, you know, as, as I was laying there recruiting, thinking about things, and Jeff Fisher had mentioned to me about maybe looking at TV as I was recovering from the mm-hmm. back injury, that it might be something I could be good at. So thought about it, called my agent, they set up some things. And um, to be honest, right after I'd done some hits on, on different, um, different networks, they started offering me jobs. And... It got down to the point where there was so much interest that I kind of had to almost make a decision of, all right, my body isn't recuperating and healing the way I thought it was going to be. Maybe I need to sign a contract with a TV network yeah. and explore this where I could be kind of ascending and rising as opposed to just trying to fight to hang on and not feeling like I could play like I used to before my back injury. So I uh, signed a deal with Fox, ended up at breaching contract when the Dolphins gave me an opportunity to come to training camp. Uh, wasn't a good opportunity, um, and I think the second day I was there, I, I called Fox back and said, hey, they're going to release me at some point at the end of cuts, and, and, and they did, and I jumped right back into the booth, and I started that next week with uh, Minnesota at TCU. So what was your backup plan if, if broadcasting didn't pan out? Well, I mean, as far as broadcasting goes, uh, I never really looked at it that way. I mean, I've obviously you know made enough where I feel comfortable financially sure. to, to do a bunch of different things. Um, contemplated going back to school, uh, potentially getting my JD MBA or just getting my law degree. Uh, but I've also kind of delved into the private equity world a little bit in finance. So uh, I've done some things outside of that. So uh, that's always something that's kind of always evolving. Um, you know, because to be honest, it's hard to have, you know, I do radio, I do other stuff, but it, it's hard to like really hang your hat on this career because it's so fluid and changing. And, sure. You look at a guy like Phil Sims who was doing a great job for CBS. He Top games ousted. every week and then just... Yeah, he gets ousted by Tony Romo, a guy who's won one playoff game. And, and if you're basically not based on you know his professional football experience, and then you can't base it on merit for his broadcasting job because Romo's never broadcast before. So right. you, know, you see decisions like that and it makes you think to yourself, uh, you better have a backup plan. Right. We got into it with, with Joel Klatt a little bit. Um, Talking about you know working your way up through yeah. the ranks versus just getting dropped in you know and, and he's done a tremendous job of that. Yeah. I mean Joel's one of the hardest workers. He's taught me a lot uh, at Fox. He was one of the first guys to really take me under his wing, um, and and kind of you know help me understand how to prepare you know how he sees a game and all of that. So he, he's tremendous at that. And I think his his career, the way everything's kind of gone, is very indicative of a guy who's kind of worked his way to get to the top. Sure. So you've called both uh, college and, and NFL games. Mm-hmm. What are the differences and the challenges going back and forth between those two? I mean, they're not different sports, obviously, but it is a different game. It's definitely a different game. And it's so hard calling college football compared to the NFL. Right. Uh, the game is so fast. And one of the biggest things you can't do or you'd like to not do is step on the play-by-play. So as a color analyst, you've got to say something that is meaningful, that either entertains, educates, or informs people. Um, and you've got a small, small window to do it in college football. And you've got duplicate numbers, and you've got huge rosters, and there's not as much information. No names on the back of the jersey sometimes, yeah. you know. And, and it's hard to see what numbers mm-hmm. based on the jersey. So it's, it's an entirely different, uh, you know, ball game to get a, a feel for. You know, you've got teams where you don't have any access, right? You know, Jim Harbaugh doesn't put out a 2D. <laughs> so um, it challenges you, I think, in your film study. It challenges you to try to find everything you can, really build a play on your toes. Um, as compared to the NFL, where there's a lot more regulations that you have to abide by. So it helps out the broadcast team and, and smaller rosters and you know the guys so um it's it's incredibly hard but it's also a ton of fun sure uh, college football there's nothing like the energy you feel in those venues and those stadiums with the fans so one of your co-workers at fox is now is uh matt liner 
And like I mentioned earlier, you know, he was another iconic quarterback in the mid-2000s. What's your relationship like with Matt? And do you ever get into the, uh, the infamous bush-push game from uh, uh, your career when of Notre course. Dame played USC? Look, they cheated. They know it. <laughs> he knows it. I've always told him, though, um, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So I would have hoped my running back would have done the same thing for me if I couldn't have got in on a quarterback sneak. But, you know, given my track record of quarterback sneaks, I think I probably would have been more successful than Matt. I mean, he's... He's one of those West Coast guys, you know. So he puts a lot of <laughs> soft. a lot of gel on his hair. Yeah. He a lot of it's actually probably more like pomade, and he doesn't really work out much. He does like yoga, so <laughs> that might have been one reason why I think he he needed the bush push to actually okay. get him in the end zone. All right, maybe we'll get him on the podcast, and I'll ask him about it. We'll, yeah. we'll see what he says. Uh, I want to get into a little more more Buckeyes talk. Your brother-in-law is AJ Hawk, mm-hmm. uh, former Buckeyes linebacker, played in the NFL for a long time, and. One of the uh, stories that Buckeyes fans, I'm sure, remember is your sister wearing a, a split Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State jersey when you, when you guys played. What's the story behind that, and, and uh, how tired are you, are you by now of hearing, of being asked about it? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not that bad. It, it's funny. I mean, she got more TV time uh, that year than I think either AJ or I did. Um, <laughs> but obviously, it, it actually came about... <laughs> I think Nelly was like one of the first people to have like a split jersey. To do the half and half. The yeah. rapper. And that's where I think my sister got the idea. He did it at the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think she had gotten the idea to do it and found someone to, to do it. Um, so that's kind of how, how it came about. And, you know, because of her relationship with both and all that, which we tried to keep under reps, but as the week went on, like people kind of started to catch on. So uh, it ended up being, you know, something that everyone wanted to talk about and all that. And that split jersey thing kind of, she's like the first person I actually think about. Probably a lot of people think about maybe probably before Nelly, um, just because she was on TV so much that day. Um, and AJ, I think, is here at, at Big Ten Media Days, right? Yeah. You, you get uh, nervous that he's going to sack you in the walking down the hall here? No, he's <laughs> lost so much weight now, and he's, uh, he's into, like, just doing yoga and other things. No, not at all. We, you, say, you bigger than him now? You put up more? Yeah, he'll, he'll tell you that. No, I don't know. He, he still works out pretty hard, actually. Um, yeah, we, we both work for SiriusXM. Um, both do NFL, and then he's, he's been doing some more college uh, radio as well. So uh, we, we'll definitely run into each other. I'm hoping to kind of jump on with them here in a little bit. But it's always a fun conversation because we know each other well enough where there's probably some inside jokes being played you know, along right. when we're talking. But... Well, hopefully we'll keep it clean. Sometimes it ventures into a you know, bad, <laughs> bad territory. He's got his own uh, podcast going on, doesn't he, right now? He does. The podcast is awesome. Got He's some... got some tremendous guests on, and um, I'm, I'm sure every year he goes out to the Lake Tahoe tournament to play uh, golf and that, and usually recruits are a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid list of guests he has on. So before I let you go, Brady, um, I wanted to get into a uh, foundation that, that you've been involved in for quite some time now. You come from a, a military family, correct? Yeah. It was your, your father? Yeah, my grandfather actually served in WW2 first. Okay. My, my father served in Vietnam. He was a Marine in Vietnam. So uh, my, my dad and I started to, decided to start a foundation um, when I was in Denver. And it was about, I want to say 2010. And I was out at, at training camp. And I've always had a strong appreciation for our armed forces and the men and women who, who sacrifice to allow us to, to do the things that we do. You know, college football or NFL, you know, uh, color analyst or broadcaster. So I'd, I'd met a couple individuals who were having, a, they'd faced catastrophic injuries from their time serving in Iraq and right. Afghanistan. And um, they had you know, become handicap uh, ridden or wheelchair ridden and they were waiting for some funding from the VA. The VA was struggling to be able to help them out. It was a long process. So, 
you know, I kind of said to my dad, I wish there's something we can do. And we just thought, all right, maybe let's just help one person and, and, and we'll try to help as many people as we can. So my dad builds homes in central Ohio. Uh, given my connections, I was able to kind of start to find veterans who are in need, um, who needed you know, handicap accessible kitchens, bathrooms, ramps in and out of their home. And that's what we started. We called it, you know, third and goal. And uh, we do business as Veterans Home Aid. So uh, we, we do a lot of home remodels and those sorts of things. We do a bunch of other things, partner with the University of Notre Dame to work on a project called the Warrior Scholar Project. Uh, we partner with, with them to basically put together a curriculum that helps the veterans who are returning back from their service reacclimate into civilian life and help better prepare them for undergraduate, continuing their education, you know, maybe you know, a graduate degree, whatever that may be, so they can you know, slide back into civilian life and not have to have the pitfalls of you know, facing uh, monetary issues, you know, not having enough money and, and right. blowing some of the money they come back with or you know, facing homelessness. So we, we've partnered together with them on a four-year project we're working on and we're trying to grow that and expand that as well. So it, it's grown and, and we're very, very proud of it. We don't, we don't have an office, we don't pay anyone. Um, we've streamlined everything, so really a large, large, large percentage of the portion of, of donations all go towards the veterans we're helping, you know, besides whatever it costs us to, you know, help put on a fundraiser. Sure, that's awesome. And, and it lines up nicely because you're calling the Ohio State Army game coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know that we'll actually be able to, you know, broadcast anything because I think we have a um, Major League Baseball playoff game on before that. But right. We're doing an event. Um, Hopefully before the game, we're partnering with the USO of Central Ohio and Southern Ohio to have some sort of tailgate for the vets. Um, you know, wish we could do more in regards to the history of Ohio State players actually serving the military. You know, Luke Rosa is mm -hmm. you know, one of the first ones that comes to mind. Um, people who went and served over in wars, you know, and then went on to go do amazing things. Rosa obviously with the Cleveland Browns. So um, it's it, it's going to be cool, I and mean, that's why it's it's such a neat opportunity to be a part of you know, doing college football, but this year in particular, being able to have the Big Ten. Yeah, that'll be a, a cool experience for sure, and uh, I believe it's September 16th on Fox, yes. so everyone uh, get ready for that game coming up. A uh, couple more questions before I let you go. Um, do you have any, do you have a, a solid idea of how many Big Ten and NFL games you'll call this year, what the split is like? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll call a full slate of college football, and then at the end of the year, I'll usually get two NFL games, I think is what it per permits, because we've got a Big Ten, Big 12 championship. We'll, have, we'll be getting one of those games. Yep. And then uh, I believe we have two bowl games now, too. Fox has, has been able to pick up the Foster Farms as well as, I think, the Holiday Bowl. So um, I'm not sure if, if we'll be involved in, in one of those two or not, which takes us into December. So at that point in time, you only have so many NFL games left. So, you know, usually I'll do um, a week 17 game and then 16, 15, depending on the schedule and depending on, you know, how the flex scheduling works. All right, last question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, obviously, all the college games aren't, aren't set yet as far as the Big Ten goes and, and which games Fox will get. But what is one Big Ten campus you'd like to go to this year if you had the choice? Oh, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, I never went there, was recruited by Wisconsin. Um, obviously, I bunked up with, with Joe Thomas uh, our first year we were together in training camp throughout the season for the Browns. He was a Wisconsin grad, and he raved about it. He it, loved Madison. Yeah. And I've never heard of a player who went to Wisconsin and was in Madison that didn't love it. So I can't wait to try to go see that campus. Um, there's a bunch of others. It's not sure. just that. but. That's one that I'm not familiar with that I've heard only great things about, so I can't wait. Madison's a really fun time. They got the lakes, they got yeah. the, the Capitol building, and um, the campus is just it's just beautiful. So yeah, I, I mean, look, can't I, argue I, with I, that. I, I was recruited to a bunch of different schools. Mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, obviously Columbus and Ann Arbor and East Lansing and and uh, and West Lafayette and 
and you kind of go on. Like, I've, I've seen all those campuses. That, that's the one that's kind of intriguing to me. Yeah. I've even seen uh, Minnesota's. Um, so it'll, it'll be cool to be able to check that out. All right, so Wisconsin fans, uh, show, show Brady Quinn a good time. Start lining up suggestions <laughs> for uh, restaurants and bars and all that. All right, Brady, that's all I got for you. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, and uh, looking forward to seeing your coverage this year on, on Fox. Looking forward to it as well. All right, man, appreciate thanks it. so much. Thanks again to Brady for joining me. And I really have to give a shout-out to all the Fox talent that I spoke with in the last couple weeks, including Joel Platt and Jenny Taft, who I had on last week's episode. They all, all three of them couldn't have been nicer and, and more accommodating, and I'm for sure looking forward to seeing them call Big Ten games and working more with them going forward in the future with uh, this Big Ten and Fox partnership. Also, thanks to everyone out there for listening. Please rate and comment on your online listening app if you like the show and thanks as always to Wes White for producing we will talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast